if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, Jeremiah 29, and then we'll be in Jeremiah 10, um, I want you to think about something. It's the idea of what do we know? What do we know? Well, the first is, I want you to notice what God knows. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. The New King James Version says, plans for good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God says, I know I have plans for you. He has plans for you, for me, and for this church family. And the Lord says, when I enact my plans in your life, it is for good. It's for welfare. It's to make your life better. In other words, the 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 promises for all of us who love him that God has prepared things that, that eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has ever entered into our heart or imagination because he loves you. And here's where we're going with that. God says, you're here right now, and I'm glad you're here, and I blessed you here, but I have plans to get you there. Nobody, until you take that final breath or a rapture, is going to have your final there yet. You're always on the journey. You're always traveling. And so God said, I know I have good plans for you. Now, the good news for anybody today whose life is not the best it could be, if you're hurting or in pain, uh, if you committed something horrible and done something bad, God is not going to leave you here. He's got it there for you. He never gives up on you. And so that's what we need to understand. Some of God's greatest blessings comes in brokenness and tragedy. And we just need to be able to understand that God doesn't want to leave you here. He wants you there. If your life is good, guess what? God wants to get you there. He even wants to take you to a place where you go, I knew it was good before, but wow, now, and now nothing compares. Then Jeremiah 10 has another I know. It says this in verse 23. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. Now, now Jeremiah said, I know something. I know that it's not for me to direct my own steps. I know that if I'm going to go on the journey with God, I'm not in charge. He is. I am going to trust him. I'm going to let him direct me. I know that's how I live my life, that he would trust in the Lord with all his heart and lean not on his own understanding and all his ways acknowledge God. And then God would direct his path. He said, I know that's true. And then I don't know about Psalm 32 for you, but let me tell you how personal it is for me. Uh, I hope verse 8 we all love. Verse 9 is going to apply to me. Very, very specifically, uh, Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. The Lord, now, did you ready? He said, I have plans for you. I know I have plans for you. Jeremiah says, I know it's for you to direct me. And now God says, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way to go. I'm not going to leave you here and just have you find out on your own or just try to navigate through life, you know, based on your own senses. He said, I want to take you by the hand and instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Now, now I don't know about you. I get excited that God has that kind of a plan for your life. Now, no matter if you're, you're 15 or 50 or 75 or 95, God has a plan for you. And he wants you to live out that plan for your life. But he wants you to do it in a way where he goes guides and he directs. But look at verse 9. This is mine. Maybe this isn't you. Do not be like the horse or the mule. Any mule-headed people in here? I'm one. Anybody else here mule-headed? 
Okay, good. There's, there's, there's some of us in here, all right? The Lord says, I want to guide you and teach you, but don't be like the horse or the mule who says, which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I know some of you just said you are. We're kind of mule-headed. Like, we go, man, I like it here. And God goes, but I want you there. And you're like, but I really like it here. And God goes, no, I, I want you there. And then you go, but to get there, I got to leave here. And God goes, yeah, you do. But to get there, I might have to go through pain and hurt and heartache. And God goes, oh, it'll happen, yeah. You're like, I don't want to go through that. And God goes, don't be like the horse or mule that has to have a bridle dragging it along. See, I'm that kind of person. My wife, Pam, knows this about me. Like if she wants to rearrange the, the, the furniture in our living room, she's got to give me one month's notice. And, and work, because I'm like, why would you move it? It's there. I like it here. Well, I want it there. But Pam, it's better here. And who's going to carry it? I'm not lifting it by myself. Oh, Tim's coming over. Oh, Tim. You know, and, uh, and, and you know what is, I think I'm that way in life. And God, you know, looks at me and goes, I, but I want you there. Five years ago, five years ago, I thought I was riding the highest high you could imagine. I thought life couldn't be better. I mean, I was in my here, and, 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 and I got to tell you, it was a great place to be. And so what happened is I began to see that God had something for me, and I didn't know if I wanted to do it. See, in 2007, I was in my here. Now, by the way, today we're in our there, and there becomes here, and here, that's why we have this, so we don't mix you up. But, but I want to have you understand something that God wanted to do, and that God very personally was telling me something. You see, we lived in Chino Hills at the time. And I would drive out to the freeway, and I would turn right, and I would go up to this amazing church called Christ Church of the Valley, or CCV in San Dimas. That church was our home church for 19 years. Now, this is our actual home church where we came from, but we, we never, ever had spent anywhere as long in our lives as we did there. That church embraced us from the beginning. Our children were little, and they were there for us. Uh, I was the youth pastor for 15 years and the senior pastor for four. And I got to tell you, that church is a loving, caring, on-fire, vibrant church. They, they show love of God in a way that's amazing. As a matter of fact, one of the things that marks CCV is uh, right now they're running 4,600 people on six acres of land. We're on... 55 acres of land. We could give them six more and we'd still have 49 left. And yet they're just booming and doing great things. And I got to tell you that that church, man, I just love being with their leadership team. The elders of that church are visionaries. And when I first became senior pastor, they refused. They refused to not allow me to do anything other than lead. I remember sitting in a couple situations and they would go, no, you're the leader. You lead. We're behind you. And they would never, ever allow me not to do that. And they would prod me, and they would mentor me, and they would point me in the direction, and would say, Chuck, we want you to take leadership. And the last four years I was there as senior pastor, we grew from 2,300 people to 4,600 people. We had more than doubled in size, or pretty basically doubled in size. And, and as that happened, man, we just saw God doing these cool things. All four years I was senior pastor, we ended the year with more money than we needed. Four times we had to have a meeting to decide what to do with all our money. Is that a pretty cool place to be or what? And then I was uh, in September of 2006, 
in an elders meeting, the elders there began to tell me, they said, look, we're not saying you're done at all. You've got a lot of good years yet left. But we're saying we want to be there for you. And they started talking about how to chart a course so that we would end up retiring one day from CCV, being there as our home church, and that they would take care of Pam especially. And, and they just had, and I thought, you guys, you've already been too good to, and they just kept pouring in. And I'll never forget that meeting. I walked out, I told Pam, do you know how loved we are? Do you know how blessed we are to be in a place like that? And then in November, I got a phone call from Brad Dupre, who was the chairman of the elders at Crossroads at the time. And Brad said, Chuck, would you pray about going to Crossroads Christian Church? In other words, what I want you to do is I want you to pray about, instead of turning right, I want you to pray about turning left. I want you to pray about taking your here and go there. And I'll never forget what I said to him. I, I actually, I'll quote it. Ready? I said, no. He said, would you pray about it? I said, no, I won't. He goes, well, would you just at least want to pray and talk? And I said, no. Now, why would I leave? I said, I, I, I don't think so. And Brad said, well, I'm going to pray that you change your mind. And then what happened is Peter McGowan called me and a couple other people called me. Uh, uh, Barry McMurtry called and said, Chuck, we really feel that God's calling you here. And I said, guys, I just don't think so. But you know what is, is they said, pray about it. I said, all right, I'll pray about it. But if I'm really going to pray about it, I'm not just going to pray. I want to really pray. So would you get me all the information? I gave them a list of things I need to see. And then it started happening. Uh, it was kind of this domino effect. As Brad started forcing some people's hands here, things started coming out. You see, Crossroads at the time, the elders didn't know it. The church didn't know it was behind on its mortgage payments in an extreme way. They also had a mountain of unpaid bills. This church had just failed an audit miserably. And the elders weren't given the audit like they were supposed to be. And what happened is it was on the brink of financial disaster. It was close to shutting its doors. And so Brad starts giving me this information. And I'm going, are you kidding and as it gets worse and worse and worse, I'm thinking, God, I can't even imagine. Why would I leave here to go there? Why would I do that? But Pam started having God nudge on her. I had preached here. I was already prearranged. I would preach here on a December 31st before any of this came up. And so I came and preached, and Pam looked me in the eye as I'm walking over, and she said, I think God's calling you to go. And I said, I don't know. Well, then we started finding out worse information. And Pam said, I think God's calling you to go. And I said, I know he's not. And um, <laughs> this really did happen. One night, I got home, and I said, Pam, we can't go. And she said, why not? And I said, well, it's worse than we thought. I'm not sure the church is going to make it. Um, and Pam, if we go, we could lose everything. And she said, well, I think we should go. And I looked her in the eye, and I said, Pam, I'm telling you this, if we go there, I think we're going to lose our home. And she looked me in the eye and said, then we're going. Because we're not for sale. We've never done what we do for money. If that's your reason, Chuck, then we are going more than ever because God's calling us to go do it. And I went, wow. So we turned left. And we left this place that was such an amazing here, you couldn't imagine, loving, caring, still vibrant church on fire people. And I came to be with you, which by the way is a loving, caring church, but had lots and lots of problems. And, and, and by the way, you got to catch this, Ross. I'm going to start and none of you knew it. 
None of you knew what was going on. No one had told you. And I was like, okay, my first Sunday, I get to tell you all the bad news. That, that seemed real fun. And so then what happened is I had my first Monday. Now, I want to tell you my first Monday. I, I got to tell you, some people have said you're exaggerating. No, this is really what happened on my first Monday. I showed up here, and I went in the office, and nobody greeted me. Now, I, this group over here actually is crying and texting, we miss you. Nobody here says even hi. I go sit in a dirty office, and I'm looking around thinking, what have I gotten myself into? How am I going to tell this church what they're facing? And then uh, Blake Ryan, who's helping us delve into all the financial problems, walks in my office, and he said, hey, how you doing? And I said, I, okay. He said, I got bad news for you. And I've already heard bad news, so I thought, what is it? And he said, the church is $27,000 in the red in its checking account. I said, Blake, how's that even possible? How do you write a check for $27,000 we don't have? And he said, what it is is we drew on payroll, but they did it using money this church had given to orphans, and they're spending it. And I said, we got to stop that. And he said, we are, but we're $27,000 in the red. He said, I've got some other bad news for you. And I said, what is it? He said, the projector that's back there that the church uses to see the pastor preach, they have been renting it, and they haven't paid one payment, and so it's being repossessed today. You're not going to have a projector for your first Sunday. And I said, good. That's really good. Because now everyone will know I'm for real. When I get up and say it's bad and there's no projector, they're going to go, he's telling the truth. I said, that's great. So anyway, Blake leaves, and I'm sitting there and still praying, and, and he walks back in a few minutes later, I don't know, and he looks at me, and he said, um, just got worse news. And, and he said, Southern California Edison called, and they need $85,000 by Friday, or they're shutting off the electricity. And I looked at him, and I said, what are we going to do? See, I can't bring you in this dark building, right? No projectors, one thing, but I can't walk you in here. And I thought, Lord, I, I don't... I just don't know what to do. I said, he said, look, I'll try to work with them, but they're firm. We've been delinquent. Um, he, so he left. I got up and I walked outside and I'm saying, God, I don't even have one Sunday here yet. And I don't know what we're going to do. And uh, I saw a lady walking towards me and she looked lost. And I thought, you know what? God's going to give me my glimmer of hope. God's going to have me lead my first person to Christ. That's what it is. So as she walked up, I went up and said, can I help you? And she said, yes, I'm from the Riverside County Health Department. And she said, I'm here to make sure that cafe is closed. And I looked at her and I said, I promise you it's closed. She goes, well, it is so bad, we're actually going to tape the door. It cannot be open. And I said, why? She goes, because the building is rat infested. And I realized our children meet on the other side of the cafe. So I, I'm standing there going, how could it get any worse? And then, this really happens. Caesar, who's on our utility team, is running towards me. He's running. And he's going, you gotta hide. You gotta hide. <laughs> and I'm like, why? And he goes, the city water department people are here and they want to shut the water off. Because there's a filtration issue and other issues. And they're asking for the head guy. And I told him, you just started and you don't know anything. So if you hide, I think I can shield him off for a week. So I hid. I went and hid. And none of you knew. None of you knew. God was saying to me, Chuck, you're here. I want you there. I'll tell you something else that happened that's pretty intriguing. I'm sitting at CCV still praying about deciding whether God wants me to come. And a friend of mine in Vegas 
has a dream where God tells him to pray that Chuck would leave CCV. He's got to go somewhere else. And he called his staff together and prayed we'd go. Brad told me he kept praying that God would melt my heart. And Pam kept praying that God would just more than ever show me what he had showed her. And so we came. And, and, and it was going to be the hardest year of my life. It was going to be the most difficult year I would ever face with the stress on it. I can't even tell you. One of the days, are you ready? The IRS showed up with their badges out wanting to arrest people, and my name was on the list. And, and it was like, are, it, this just can't happening any worse. But, but we sat there thinking, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to move forward? And here's what occurred. Are you ready? This church, if you were here five years ago, all of you who were five, do you remember what happened? I got up and shared all the bad news that I knew at the time and saying I don't know everything. And I told Pam, there's a very good possibility half the people will walk out the door and not come back. That was the opposite of what happened. You rallied together. The one thing I love is nobody got bitter. No one pointed fingers. No one said who's to blame. You know what we did is we just rallied together. And that's what made us the church we are now. We found out at that time, the first night I met with you, I told you there was $185,000 in unpaid bills. The reality was there was $560,000 in unpaid bills. And our reputation was horrible, and we had you know, needed to be humble before God. And then I, I, I was praying, and, and God put on my mind these words, great and mighty things are coming. Great and mighty things are coming. That Right out of Jeremiah 33, 3, where it says, call to me and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things you do not know. And so I got up and shared that with you, and I said, let's get together and see what we can do above and beyond our tithe in 40 days to wipe all this out. And here's what happened. In 40 days, this church raised $700,000 above tithe to wipe out all the past two bills. This is when the economy was down. You did this. That's the kind of church this is. And we paid them all off. We restored our financial health. And are you ready for this? We saw our reputation restored. I can promise you, if you talk to any of our vendors or you talk to the city, they will tell you now that Crossroads Christian Church pays its bills. And we do it on time. And you know what? We're good for our word. And so we love that God did that. We also saw God do some other amazing things in this church. We saw him take us from here to there in in a lot of different areas. Let me give you one. Uh, Back in 2007, in our here, our offerings were $81,000 a week. Now today, our there, our offerings just ended February averaging $182,000 a week. Because you're a committed church and you love the Lord. And we're seeing that happen. Financially, we've seen something happen. I told you, we were $27,000 in the red. Isn't that amazing? Now today, you ready? We have $2.7 million in the bank. When uh, Mike showed me that number, I thought, it's just interesting. We're not playing. We didn't try to, you know, fudge. It's literally those two. God took us from there to there, and we're going, this is incredible. Now, let me explain what the $2.7 million is. Uh, some of the money is in the all-in campaign dedicated to the street. Some of the money is dedicated to global outreach because 10% of all our offerings go into reaching beyond our walls, either locally or globally. And, and some of the money, by the way, is in this thing called cash reserves, so we don't get back in that problem again that we're not going to touch. But you know what is, is it's an incredible thing to be this financially healthy. Our attendance has skyrocketed. Uh, as a matter of fact, in 2007, the adult attendance, this is adult attendance of our church, was 2,560. Today, our adult attendance is 4,735. 
Our youth have grown. Our children have grown. We've grown in other areas, special needs. But this is just the adult attendance, and we saw that occur. The other thing we saw happen is this. Uh, This is a a, a family-oriented community, and our children's ministry back then was good, not great, but good. But we decided we had to do something more. And so we started a ministry to 5th and 6th graders back then that was non-existent, feeling like if we could reach them in 5th and 6th grade, then we'll have them in the most formative years of their life when the biggest mistakes very often are made. And so what happened is we began just with a few kids back then. This ministry is a very serious ministry where the kids bring their Bibles and they bring their friends and they worship God. And you know what else they do? They meditate on God's Word. I've had some 5th and 6th grade parents come to me going, What's meditate? And I'll say, well, you know, it's a biblical thing. Well, my kids have learned it, and they're teaching me how to. And so that's happening. And today, over 150 fifth and sixth graders gather on our campus just to study God's Word with that kind of depth on Friday nights. And so we're loving what occurs there. But then, I, I think many of you know that back five years ago in 2007, and this year, we had about 100 junior high and high school kids on campus. Last Monday night, we had 200 junior hires alone on campus, uh, all who were serious about God and loving the Lord. But, but what happened is this church needs to reach the next generation. So we began a ministry that was non-existent back then called Generate. And right now, Generate is running over 1,300 students actively and next generation actively. That, that just is amazing to see what God is doing. And so last Wednesday night, they had 37 decisions for Christ. 37, just in one night. We know we've got to minister to families. And in 2007 in our here, we had no, no vital marriage ministry, not one. And then what happens, we got a heart to start this ministry called Fuse, and eventually Bill and Michelle Hadorn came, and we watched it start skyrocketing, and we watched God do things. Bill wanted me to emphasize to you, while this is a marriage ministry, it's different. Now here's why, because it's about making disciples for Jesus Christ. We believe that you can't just get two married people together and try to have a great marriage. We've got to get them to be disciples and followers of Christ. And as they've done that, we've seen this ministry flourish. So that what happens right now is on Wednesday nights, there's over 300 uh, adult people in the marriage ministry over here. And are you ready for this? Now we've had to start a Tuesday night so we can double the size. But I want to promise you, we will not do 600. We'll go to 700. No sixes. So, um, but that's pretty cool. The other thing, when I came here, this is a little bit heartbreaking. I found out that only 300 adults were in community. And I thought, wow, I I mean, there's 2,000 and some, but only 300 are involved in any kind of active community. Today, 1,600 are. And so we love that. And Dale Borgen's going to be used to chart a course to see hopefully everybody get involved and we can see that occur here in the church. The other thing that happened is in local impact. Now, five years ago, our here, in our here, we had a food pantry and we still have our food pantry. And it was, you know, doing really good things, making sure people got food and care and things like that. And then the economy turned and we needed to do even better. So right now, uh, in our, our now time, the food pantry still exists and we've started something called the Hunger Project to make sure people are fed. And so from our food pantry right now, we're feeding between three and 400 families a month. But we've also started Adopt-A-Block. And Adopt-A-Block, if, and most of you know this, but if you don't, is where people from our church every Saturday go into under-resourced areas of Corona and Norco, and, and they, they love on people and care for them and share the love of Christ and give them hope. 
And, and so what happens, Adopt-A-Block took off, and it has literally grown now to four blocks. It's going to grow even bigger, but the things that are coming out of it are amazing. One of the things that happened is a woman, uh, about a year and a half ago, Allie and her team were there. They led this woman to Christ, and she only spoke Spanish, and so they tried to get her to come to our Spanish ministry, and she said she'd come. But when she got on our campus, she got lost, and she walked in here. When she walked out of the service, she bumped into Allie and her team, and they said, oh, you made it, you made it. She goes, oh, I was already in church. And she, they said, where? And she said, in here. And they said, but that's not the Spanish church. And she's like, what? She understood every single word I preached. Now, can you believe? Now, I know some of you are going, I don't understand every word you preach. <laughs> she came two weeks in a row, and for two weeks, God did a miracle. She could understand every word of the sermon, and then it stopped, and now she's a part of our Spanish ministry. But God, for some reason, wanted her in here, and he did that. We're watching this ministry explode. Child protection has told us there's been a marked difference in the neighborhoods we're ministering to and children not having to be taken out of a home. The school district has actually noticed a difference in absenteeism in the blocks that we minister to. And here's the thing I cannot wait to tell you. You ready? Just uh, uh, recently, the mayor of Riverside called Allie and wants to meet with her because they want to adopt a block in Riverside. And um, it's, it's incredible to see what God is doing. The Hunger Project is awesome. We're making people f- are fed. Corona Norco Rescue Mission was in existence five years ago. There was a ministry going on, and it was a good one, but it had a potential to be great. And Orange County Rescue Mission came and asked Crossroads to help, and we've teamed together with other churches, but we're the two key components. And now the Corona Norco Rescue Mission is about to launch in a whole new way. The goal is this, that nobody who's homeless and does not want to be has to stay that way. And, and Orange County Rescue has been phenomenal at that. We're inserting that into Corona. If you want to find out more, you can outside. But we are now seeing that happen in a way that just blows my mind. So God's doing cool things. Another way that God has changed this is in global impact. You know, we've just watched over the last five years, God used this church to reach beyond its walls and beyond its shores. We now are, have an ongoing work in eight countries. We support seven missionaries, full-time missionaries we support. Now, you ready for this? We support five evangelists. You might ask, what is an evangelist different than a missionary? An evangelist is native to the country, and these five evangelists are ministering in a place of high persecution. I am, because we put this online, I'm not going to show their picture or tell their names. Because it literally could cost their life. But I want you to know, just recently, we had teams meeting with our evangelists, and they, they cried tears because of you. Because they can't believe how much you love them, and how much you're giving them a chance to take the message of Christ. They would not be able to do what they're doing if it wasn't for you. And, and they're in an area in unreached people groups risking their lives, and we're supporting them. And I want to see that number grow to 15, 20, 30 as we just start supporting these amazing men of God. And so we're going to do that. We now sponsor over 600 children and have rescued, rescued them from extreme poverty. And, and, and that means that they're taught about Jesus every single week. They're given food. They're giving medical care. They're giving clothes, and they're given an education. Now, here's the thing. If we all stay faithful to 24-7, this number is going to grow to 2,000 children. In about a year and a half, we'll go up to 2,000 children being rescued, which I'm excited about. We uh, sent 300 people. 
But here's what I want you to think about. As cool as all this is, what's the difference now? Because what I want you to know is that in 2007 was our here, 2012s are there. But God being God says, you know what? Now you're there is now you're here, right? Does that make sense? So what was our here and our there, now this is our here. And so God wants to take us somewhere else. We can't stay here. We have a future. We have a future and a hope. And God wants us to explore that and God wants us to look at that. And what I want to tell you is God is already giving us at least a glimpse or a glimmer of where we're headed. Now, I, I want you to think about this because here's what it is. Um, while we're praying and fasting and saying, God, I praise you for our here, what's next for Crossroads? God has, without us even doing a lot to, to make it happen, sent to us some, the most incredible, influential Christian leaders you can imagine to pour into our direction. Uh, uh, men that I highly respect, and by the way, didn't even know. I knew who they were, but all of a sudden they've come to us and they're saying, Crossroads, you need to rise up like you never have before. Now, why is that? Why is this going on? Let me give you some background. Number one, a study was recently done of the churches that are most impacting the United States. Uh, if you're not aware of it, 80% of the churches in the United States right now are either anemic or inept, and they're not making any impact on their community. They're not reaching anybody for Jesus Christ. They're not changing the community environment they live in. They're making no effect whatsoever. 80% of the churches today in the United States. 20% of the churches are making major impacts and are being more effective. And if we're going to see this country won back to Jesus Christ, the 20% have to rise up like they never have before. And we're one of them. This study found something interesting. They found that, that when they rate effectiveness, that there's certain churches that stand out. And, and I'll give you an example. One of the ways of measuring uh, the effectiveness of a, of a church is called baptisms per 100. Now, this is a little complex, but I know you'll get it. And why would they do that? They, the reason is they want to be able to measure church against church in a way that makes sense. So if a church is running 100 and they have one baptism, that's one baptism per 100. If they're running 1,000 and they have 10 baptisms, that's 10 baptisms per 100. And they would say those churches have an equal impact based on their size. Does that make sense? So that way, you know, a church of 20,000 can be compared to a church of 8,000. Well, when they did their study, and it was just finished, there was a shock. They looked at their data, and they said, what's going on? Because one church in all the United States had 16 baptisms per 100. The closest to it was seven. In other words, one church was so effective in reaching people and baptizing them, they more than doubled some of the most incredible churches in the country. And that church was us. Yeah. And that's part of the reason we're getting all these phone calls. And people coming and saying, you know what, that's really cool, but you could do even more. And, and, and where you're at right now, you could be better. Um, I was talking to a reporter from a Christian magazine, and he was saying to me, what is it that you think has made the difference? And I said, well, I think it's this. I think at Crossroads, no matter where you go, we preach a passionate commitment to Christ's cause and community. We preach commitment. Our people value commitment. And he actually said that, these words, you ready? He goes, that's unique. Why is it unique we call for commitment? 
But you know what? This church stands out and you stand out. I mean this. You stand out because you're a committed group of people. Right now, over 4,000 of us are fasting for 40 days seeking God together. Over 2,000 of you have signed the ITEL card to say, I'm going to be completely committed to Christ for two years. And we're watching God honor that. And here's the good thing is, there are churches now that want to learn from us, but there's also amazing leaders that are coming and saying, you could do better. You could do more. And you can't be satisfied just with what you have right now. You can't be satisfied with your here. You've got to think about your there. And so you might be sitting here going, well, what does that mean? Well, first of all, one of the ways that you and I know God's will is through an abundance of counselors. We know it through God's word. We know it through prayer. But the Bible says we listen to godly counsel. And so we need to be doing that. Proverbs 11 verse 14 says, For where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. Did you catch that? In an abundance of counselors, there's victory. Proverbs 15, 22. Without consultation, plans are frustrated. But with many counselors, they succeed. Proverbs 24, 6 says, For by wise counsel you will wage war, and in abundance of counselors there's victory. Now, Crossroads, I want to talk to you in a moment, just specifically you. You know, Crossroads, I think you know, we're not called to be a comfortable church. We're called to be a church who's going to war, right? We're going to war against the gates of hell. The gates of hell shall not prevail. And we've got to make a difference. And God's calling for us to be effective. And how does that happen? In part, by an abundance of counselors. So you know what God has done? He brought Mark Driscoll to us. Mark didn't just come and put on a marriage seminar here, which was incredible. Mark came and met with me and met with our staff. And he said, I know who you are. And I was shy. He knew who we were. And he began to talk about, okay, you've got this good, but here's the changes you can make to get there. And we're going, whoa. And then God also brought to us David Sean, who's the executive pastor of Saddleback, where Rick Warren's the pastor. And we've got to meet with him now three times. And David is going, man, I love you're here, but you could be there. And I, I got to tell you, if you guys do these things, and I'm going, wait a minute, did you talk to Mark Driscoll? And he said, no, I didn't talk to him. He's a Calvinist. And uh, so he didn't say that really, but anyway, uh, then I, I meet with a group of 11 guys twice a year who in churches 5,000 or larger just to stretch each other and pour into each other. And this last meeting, I said, guys, um, here's what we're facing at Cross. And crossroads and they all go we thought that too now i love their churches and they love us and we're all encouraging each other to be more effective but they're saying i this is what we're thinking why here's how they see us they see us right now as very healthy and they see us as only being here and not affecting out like we could and i'm going wow so, so they're they're telling us some advice they're giving us opinions and some of them we should take and some we shouldn't But the reality is, we have a future. Now, if you're listening, I think you're probably going to ask this question. Okay, what is it, Chuck? You know, the vision message, here's our here, I understand our here, I love our here, that's our there. What are we going to do? And I got the answer. You ready? I have no clue. (laughs) It's the worst vision statement ever, right? I don't know. I just know there's a future. I know there's a hope. We've been given some good advice to start down the road. But I'm not kidding when I tell you this. I just don't know what God wants us to do. I have no idea. And you might say, well, then that makes you a pretty horrible leader. And it probably does. I don't have a clue. But I can tell you this. We're praying about it. And we're a church that prays and then plans. We don't plan and then pray. 
I wouldn't come before you with a whole bunch of plans that we hadn't had God pray over first. I mean, that's just not what we're going to do. So I just want to ask you, I asked the other services, I, I think you're going to say yes to this, so let me ask you this. Are you with me in saying, you know what, God, we're here and we love it, but we're willing to go there, and wherever you want us to go, God, we're going to go. Are we in that together? Yeah, let's just be that way. And, and it's about being his church and being who we're supposed to be. So that's my, my, my hope, is that we just keep praying, we keep talking. There are some things we know we probably could do right now, right away to be better. But more important than that is how, where's the direction? Where's the vision? We don't just do things. We've got to have a, a vision to go to that God gives us. But I want you to know this. It's for you too. It's for you too. When I sat in my house and made that final moment of prayer and looked at Pam and then we went and talked with some people and we actually sat in this parking lot and prayed and God, we said, all right, God, we're going to Crossroads. I had no idea how hard it would be for the first year and I had no idea how great it would be now. My marriage is better. My life is better. I'm closer to God. Uh, I love it. I have I'll tell you what, I walk around this church every day, Sundays included, and I look at all you and I think, I would not want to miss out on life with you. I am so glad I left my here for my there. Now, where this gets personal for you is, some of you today need to leave your here for there. Some of you need to leave your here for there by saying yes to the Lord Jesus Christ for the very first time. You know, maybe you've been wondering, is there a God? I want to tell you, okay, there's a God, and He has a Son, named Jesus, who came on this earth and lived the most amazing life ever and died on a cross for you. And he's calling you into a relationship with God as your father. So right now, you're here might be, I wonder if there's a God. You're there is to live life with him, experiencing him, knowing his love. For some of you, you, you go, I'm already a Christian, and, and so I'm here. But you know what? You, you know something. You know you're not completely committed. And I want to tell you this, are you ready? if you're not completely committed to the Lord today, I want, He loves you. You go, well, does He not love? No, He loves you, but why would you not get committed to the one who loves you that much and go there? And today you ought to say, God, I'm going to recommit my life. I'm going to really be committed. Some of you, you're here right now, like I said, is pretty painful. I, I've talked to some of you, and I, man, I, if I could change it, I would, but I can tell you I can't, but He can he can. And what you need to do is, is let go of this hurt and pain today and say, maybe my circumstances aren't going to change, but I'm going to change. I'm going to give myself to the Lord, and he'll get me out of it. He, he will. And you know what? You're here. He doesn't want to leave you here. He's going to take you there. So, so here's the thing. We're about to go to a time where we pray and we talk to God. And today, if you want to say yes to him for the first time, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to pray a prayer with me and say yes to the Lord. For some of you, you need to recommit. Those recommitments are just as important. A lot of us hit a place in our life where we say, Lord, you know what? It's time to re-up. It's time to focus back and come back to what I love most. And so today, you may need to do that. For some people, there's a lot of brokenness and hurt in their lives that they've caused. Well, you know what? God's the best at cleansing you from that and, and rebuilding that. So let him do it today. Pray the prayer. And for some of you today, Today's a day to say, you know what, I've been hurt by others in pain, but I'm not going to let that define who I am. So today's the day. So I'm hoping for many of you, you're going to say, this is the day I'm going to start from here and go to the there God has for me. And you're going to pray a prayer and tell him you're going to do it. Let's pray.
Father, I know you love us. Oh, I know you love us. And I love this church, and I love the passion here, and I love the excitement, and I love where we're going. And I like the fact we don't know everything. But none of us really do. We might think we do. But life is, life changes quickly. Things get blown up or wrecked or detoured. But what's good is for you, none of that's a surprise. And so what we can trust now is that you're always going to be the one to guide us. And I pray, oh Lord, that you would guide this church and guide me and guide each and every one of us. Lord, I ask and pray right now that you would be with anyone today who needs to commit their life to you. Lord, I pray you would just pour your love upon them. I pray right now they would just sense your presence and your love and your care and they would open up to you and they would want to pray a prayer where they tell you they're going to give their life to you. Father, I want to pray for a Christian who's here today, but they know they're not living the Christian life completely. And I pray today they'd commit to do that. And Father, I want to pray today for anybody who's hurting and in pain. The pain is so real. And maybe they're even scared. But Lord, today I pray they would let all that end by giving themselves to you. And while the circumstances may not change in this very moment, what will change is their strength, their power, their resolve, that you now will help them. And I pray they're going to open up to that. I'm going to ask you to keep praying. Please keep praying. And I'm going to lead that prayer for anybody who wants to say yes to the Lord or recommit or find healing in your life. I'm hoping you pray it with me. Just I'm going to ask you to whisper it and begin this amazing journey by just telling him you want to do it. So let's pray this prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me and to cleanse me from all my sin. To heal me from hurt and from pain. To make me alive. To make me new. And to make me yours. And I say yes. Yes, I want you, and yes, I want the life you have for me, and I want to be yours. So fill me with your love, and fill me with your spirit. I'm yours, and I'll follow in Jesus' name. Amen, and amen. Praise God if you prayed that prayer.